You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. As you're turning to Psalm 130, let's again just remember the Sabbath is this this God-given reality of rest. And it's rest not as a reward, not as an achievement, but as a gift. And for many of us, that just that in and of itself is a paradigm shift. The Sabbath is about working not in order to rest, but resting in order to work. And we've learned it's a divinely created rhythm. We've learned that it's a rule for life mandated for us by our Heavenly Father. That's how important it is. It's a means of acting justly, of recognizing and respecting our common humanity by protecting and advocating for the right and need of all persons to rest from their labor. And last week, we looked at the fact that the Sabbath is the gateway to our freedom, to being reoriented from all the counter-narratives that shape and drive this world. And the Sabbath reshapes us because in that space of rest, we are healed by the love and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are released to enjoy and delight in this life we have been given. This is a lot. We've covered a lot so far. And you might ask yourself, so is there anything else for us to learn? And obviously we're here, so yes. Something today that I think we're going to learn that might be unexpected for us related to the Sabbath. Something maybe at the root of why we resist slowing down to rest. So if you're asking yourself, what else is there to learn about the Sabbath, join me, and it'll be on the screen, but you also may use your Bible that's in your hand or the Bible from the pew, and reading Psalm 130 together, and perhaps you'll catch on. It reads, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, were you able to figure out what today's theme is? This was highlighted for you, and there it is in big capital letters, waiting. Learning to wait. More specifically, learning and recognizing we need to wait upon the Lord. Now, this is going to be a fun one today because I think I'm pretty right about this. Most of us don't like waiting. Whether it's waiting in line 
or as the next slide kind of indicates, waiting in traffic, waiting for a call, or when our computers or phones don't work fast enough. Again, talk to the high schoolers about that. They'll take care of the whole thing for you. Biding our time, right, is something for which we have little patience. Living in a world of fast food, instant messages, cliff notes, automatic deposit, and express lanes on the freeway, we have been conditioned to have it our way, right away, meaning now. Very few of us know how to wait patiently. We say things like, but I don't want to hold still. Why is this taking so long? And the very famous one that everyone knows, are we there yet? Now, just to continue to underscore this, how many of you have heard the term, this was new for me, hurry sickness? You ever heard that term before? Oh, hurry sickness. One hand, my daughter. It's like, over there. Hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a recent diagnosis in psychology. And here's what it is. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Do you have hurry sickness? One of the telltale signs of hurry sickness, just to help you, is repeatedly pushing the door close button <laughs> on an elevator. This is true, this is true. And just keeping it real, spoiler alert, I definitely have hurry sickness. <laughs> so how many of you raise your hand, get in the elevator, door closed, door closed, door closed, right? Now, this is crazy. I just found this out. I found this out actually, I think, I don't know when, it was more than a year ago. Do you know those buttons typically aren't connected to anything other than a tiny light bulb? <laughs> it's true. More, some, there's some exceptions, but more often than not, it's just connected to a tiny light bulb. It's what's known as a mechanical placebo. You feel better. Right? But, you know, all, all kidding aside, ask yourself, even if those buttons actually worked, right? How much time are they saving? What, five seconds? Right? Five seconds can seem like an eternity to someone who is hurry sick. Here's another way to figure this out. You do this later. Don't try to do this now. It'd be awkward. To try to check and see if you're suffering from hurry sickness, sit down and have someone blindfold you. Then have that, that person time you as you attempt blindfolded to guess how long a minute is. A person suffering from hurry sickness, when blindfolded, perceives a minute as lasting 15 seconds or less. Crazy, right? Think about hurry sickness, again, kind of unpacking this for you. Hurry sickness has been diagnosed because hurry sickness eventually can make you actually physically sick because it increases the body's output of the stress hormone cortisol, which suppresses the immune system. Hurry sickness, the inability to wait, left unchecked, has been shown to lead to ulcers, high blood pressure, tension headaches, high cholesterol, and heart disease. Some of us, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you think you are, suffer from hurry sickness. Because to have to wait, we would rather do anything than have to wait. For many of us, the problem is waiting is delaying, right? Waiting is delaying. To have to wait is unwanted and therefore an unnecessary delay. 
which threatens missing the perceived moment of opportunity. We just can't wait. We have to go now. We have to do it now. It has to happen now. Otherwise, it might not happen at all. That's the logic, right? Waiting, waiting too long, again, from our vantage point, can lead to a dead end. The moment's passed. Great, game over. That's all she wrote. The end. Now, we're not alone in our resistance to waiting. Those who first followed Jesus, his disciples, didn't care much for waiting either. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you observe a close reading of all four of the Gospels, you'll hear the disciples repeatedly questioning Jesus or just plain murmuring to themselves. The slides on the screen, the next two will show you some examples of the impatience of the disciples. These are questions they ask Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Why do you intend to show yourself to us but not to the world? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of the coming and the end of the the world? Lord, why can't we follow you now? The original disciples were anxious and eager to get things moving with Jesus. But again, a close reading of the gospel is something you can't help but catch, is Jesus, unlike us, was never in a hurry. He also was not one to be rushed. And so then came Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion, a day we commemorate as Good Friday, but from the perspective of the disciples, Jesus had waited too long. From their vantage point, it was all over. With his death on the cross, it's done. The moment had passed. The window of opportunity had closed. Game over. Waiting had led them literally to a dead end. And the day after Good Friday was Saturday. But it wasn't just Saturday. It was the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus and his followers were Jewish, and Saturday was their Sabbath. The Sabbath I don't know if you've ever realized this, and you probably haven't. The Sabbath, once again, is a key to the core story of our faith, the good news. The Sabbath is there, right in the middle of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The Sabbath is a day known as Holy Saturday, which few in the church, and I think there's an interesting aspect about this in light of the Sabbath, Few of the church, we can get the church somewhat full on Good Friday, packed on Easter Sunday, Holy Saturday, huh, what? Most churches don't even have a Holy Saturday service. People don't show up. They don't even think about Holy Saturday. But in the story of our faith, Saturday, the Sabbath, is very, very significant. It's what stands between, the Sabbath was what stands between Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And what we forget, why it's so important for us to observe Holy Saturday, is what we need to remember is on this Sabbath long ago, Jesus' friends and followers were forced to wait. To wait upon the Lord. As Jesus' lifeless body lay in the tomb, so did the disciples' hopes and dreams. They had left everything to follow the one they believed was the Messiah, and now he was dead Waiting upon Jesus seemingly had left them with nothing. Nothing but fear, doubt, grief, and questions. What were they to do now? When God's dead, what comes next? What were they to do now? Where were they to go? 
Three years. <laughs> Three years. Now what? If Jesus was dead and buried, how? How could God keep his promise of forgiveness and restoration, of healing and freedom? Holy Saturday was a Sabbath observance unlike any other for them. They stopped. They rested. They waited because there was nothing else to do. To whom else could they go for the words, the words and the work of eternal life? And you can just imagine in that space that their hearts grew sick with confusion as they contemplated all of this. And it probably didn't seem very much like a restful space, right? There didn't seem to be too much reason to go on living, let alone a cause for celebration, for delight, which the Sabbath is about. From their perspective, they were waiting without an end in sight. They were back to square one. Three years of their lives seemingly wasted by waiting. Now, I know we're all thinking, but that's not how it turned out. Tell the best part of the story. And I know, I know, we, we know Sunday's coming. True enough, praise the Lord, resurrection happens. But what I'm trying to get you to do, and the next slide on the screen will sort of take you there, is we need to sit and imagine, go back one please, to remember what it was like for them in the waiting. In that unique time and space between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what it was like in the Sabbath for them. The space of Holy Saturday, because the thing is, why I'm trying to get us to enter into that space for a time that we don't often observe during Holy Week is because we live most of our lives from the same vantage point. You and I, we live most of our lives in the waiting of Holy Saturday. Truth be told, and we don't like to hear this, most of life is waiting. Waiting to graduate. Anybody in here waiting to graduate? Show of hands. Waiting to graduate? Come on. Come on, more than one person. Waiting to be accepted in college? Waiting for your first job offer? Waiting to see if the bank will give you a loan? Waiting on the other end of a service call? <laughs> that one always gets a reaction, right? If you're inclined to be married, and not all of us are, but if you're inclined to be married, waiting for the right person to come into your life, waiting for a friend or a family member to come home from a long trip. Emily Hunter's been gone, it's been like half the time now. She's got like eight more weeks, is that right? Or four more weeks? Eight more weeks? I miss her. She's part of our family. She's part of our community. We all spend a big chunk of our lives in transition waiting for things to happen. We all have to wait whether we like it or not. I mean, for every green light, it seems like there's six yellow ones and a dozen red ones. Am I wrong? We live our lives for the most part in that space in between, in that holy Saturday time. And as people of faith, we often find ourselves waiting upon the Lord, waiting for our prayers to be answered waiting to find out what God wants me to do, waiting for our loved ones to come to Christ, waiting for our loved ones maybe to come back to Christ. And sometimes our waiting can feel purpose, 
hopeless. It can seem like a dead end, that all our waiting is in vain. Like the disciples, we can experience dark circumstances that dim our faith and dash our hopes. Some of us here today, maybe, have been waiting for children, but have only known infertility. Some of us here today may be waiting still in the midst of a pressing health concern, waiting for an appointment to finally see the doctor, waiting for our test results, waiting to receive a diagnosis, waiting for the approval from our insurance company, waiting for the prescription, waiting for the medicine to kick in, waiting for the right dosage, waiting to be healed. And I know that there are several of us in this room who have been waiting for peace and reconciliation in our marriage or our family or perhaps in another relationship. Too many of us in this room are well acquainted with conflict and brokenness and we're waiting for peace, for reconciliation, for forgiveness maybe. Some of us in this room are waiting for prodigals to come home and yet only can mark the days. We just keep marking the days with a keen and painful sense of their absence. And a lot of us in this room have been waiting for years in our grief over the loss, the absence of a loved one. We want to believe Easter resurrection is coming, but all we've experienced for so long is the aftermath of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, On this side of Eden, our lives are filled, filled with longings and expectations. All of us are waiting for something. What are you waiting for? And then you add to it the fact that sometimes life doesn't pan out or progress the way we want. We find ourselves waiting for something to change. We find ourselves waiting for something to give. We find ourselves waiting for something to happen. As people of faith, we spend most of our lives waiting between the promise and the hope of God. And typically, and I'm just trying to keep it real, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, as we wait on the Lord, we hear other people say, or we try to tell ourselves, there's purpose in the waiting. But ultimately, on our own, we can't stand it especially i mean understandably when we're facing uncertainty all we want is an answer an answer to our problem is that too much to ask an answer to our problem relief come on relief from our pain and it can get so bad waiting right that we frequently try to fix it ourselves Instead of waiting upon the Lord, we work to move the story of our lives along to get to a better chapter. We don't like waiting because waiting feels like empty space and time. If we're waiting, we perceive we're doing nothing. And so we believe when we wait, nothing is happening. But what is perhaps the greatest resistance we have about waiting upon the Lord, that nothing is happening, that our waiting is but a dead end, is revealed through what comes out of the Sabbath of Holy Saturday. It's revealed to be an unfounded fear. Consider 
as the disciples waited seemingly in vain on Holy Saturday, what they didn't know was happening. What they couldn't possibly perceive at first was going on. It was during the Sabbath, you see, behind the stone that the strange mystery of resurrection started to happen. Long ago, in the beginning, God, we've covered this, spoke creation, all various orders of life into being, then rested, crafted the seventh day, a specific time and a particular space for all creation to rest. This unique day is why we're here. It's the day known as the Sabbath. The original Sabbath was set apart and kept by God as the grand finale, the conclusion to his work of creation. It was the commencement of life as we know it. Now fast forward through a world that becomes broken by sin to the pinnacle moment that reflects the tragedy of our fallen human condition as we willingly crucify an innocent and perfect man, but even more than this, as we mercilessly kill our first, last, and only hope of redemption, God in the flesh. In one sense, through the cross, we confront the undeniable image of the evil humanity can do. Yet the reason why there's a cross in every church, we wear them around our necks when someone pulls it out or gives it to us or we see it, we don't have a repulsion up by it, but an absolute sense of peace by it is because the cross, even though it is an absolute reflection of the undeniable evil that humanity can do, the cross is also a beautiful picture of grace of God's greatest work, a labor of love for our benefit to ensure our redemption and restoration. What we intended for evil, God willingly embraced for good, our good. And then on the seventh day, Holy Saturday, the Sabbath, a day that marked the conclusion of God's original work of creation, it became the conclusion of God's promised work of redemption. But both of these Sabbaths, the first Sabbath that gave us life as we know it and the Sabbath that came after the death of Jesus Christ were more than just conclusions. They also were commencements. The first Sabbath started life as we know it, this world as we know it, and the Sabbath of Holy Saturday that follows crucifixion is the commencement of a new creation, of an unexpected but hoped-for future. As the crucified body of Jesus lay in the tomb, the disciples perceived disaster, the supposed death of the future. But it is on this Holy Saturday that Scripture records, and we confess, every time we say the Apostles' Creeds, the Apostles' Creed, we confess that it was on the Sabbath, on this day when it appeared that nothing was happening, that God was working, because it's on the Sabbath we confess and the scriptures proclaim Jesus descended into hell. And not hell the way we think of it from medieval times, fire and pitchforks and all that stuff, but the way the Bible envisions it, hell as a place called Sheol, the shadowy state after death the state of existing but not being, not living. On the Sabbath, Jesus descended and raised up those who had died to new and everlasting life. On the third day, Jesus descended into hell, to Hades, to Sheol. On the Sabbath, things were happening because the two Marys who later set out for the tomb the next morning, the day after the Sabbath, 
Don't discover God going, oh, time to get up and start working. Right? They get to the tomb that's empty. They get to the tomb while they and the rest of the disciples have been waiting. God has been working resurrection. God has been working resurrection as he's emptied hell. Jesus has been working, rolling back the stone that marks death as final. Jesus has been working to set the stage, not for a sunset, but for a sunrise, the dawn of a new day, the first day of a new week, the first day of a new world that will eventually render the old order of things obsolete. What the beloved, what I'm trying to say to you is what Holy Saturday powerfully demonstrates is the Sabbath teaches us how to wait. It teaches us that our waiting on the Lord is never in vain. And what's important to understand, certainly from an example like Psalm 130, which we looked at this morning, and this is but one of many, biblically, to wait is not passive. Biblically, to wait is not passive, it's active. Waiting, as you hear it described in writings like Psalm 130, involves anticipation, It involves expectancy. It involves receptivity. That's why there's that beautiful refrain. I love it. It's a breath prayer for me that my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And as the next slide comes up, this is a picture of, of of a castle, a tower, and a watchman would wait, looking towards the horizon, looking for the sign of the sun coming up because when the darkness came, they were most vulnerable to battle, looking for the morning sun to rise. And the psalmist taps into that image and says, when we wait for the Lord, it's not passive. We are anticipating, we are expectant, we are receptive. More than watchmen on a tower wait for the morning sunlight to dawn. In other words, biblically, to wait is to be patient. Waiting is oriented towards being acted upon rather than acting. It's about being acted upon rather than taking matters into our own hands. But that doesn't mean waiting is a posture of resignation. Waiting is not a posture of just saying, okay, whatever. Waiting isn't a posture of resignation. Waiting biblically is an expression of faith. It's being open. It's being attentive. Again, it's being responsive to God, to God's voice, to God's will, to God's action, to God's answer, to God's timing. The Sabbath, in other words, is a designated time and space created by God for us to learn how to wait. Eugene Peterson once put it this way. I love this quote. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. In other words, we stop and we cease what we're doing, what we're trying to do, in order to be able to perceive what God is doing. We rest and abide in the Lord's presence in order to remember the Lord's provision in the past, and in so doing, to trust God is at work in us, in the present, even when we don't understand what the Lord is up to. Think about this. On Holy Saturday, the two Marys, the rest of the women, and the disciples did what God's people do. Even when they had lost everything, even as they walked through the valley of the shadow of death, even as they were in that tension of, the li- of life unknown, they did what you do when you rest. They worshiped and they prayed. 
And it was out of this Sabbath rest, it was out of this waiting that they were able the next day to begin to perceive what God was doing. It was out of their waiting through rest that these women overcame their grief enough to get up and head out to the tomb that morning. It was out of their waiting through rest that these women withstood the shock of an earthquake, right? And the appearance of an angel. Both phenomena, by the way, that knocked over and sent otherwise seasoned Roman soldiers guarding the tomb, running for cover in fear. It was out of their wading through rest that they were able to believe the strangest news they had ever heard. And these two women, if you remember the story, believed it so fully, so deeply, that they turned in a moment to go tell others. These two women were able to perceive what God was doing so much that they immediately trusted in the Jesus they saw. They turned around to go, do you remember this? And then they saw Jesus as they were heading on the road to Galilee. And what I'm saying to you is all of this was possible thanks to the waiting, thanks to the rest that came out of the Sabbath. Now, I know, I imagine some of you are still thinking, (laughs) but why wait at all? You ever ask yourself with this story? I mean, why wait at all? If God planned on raising Jesus from the dead, why wait for Sunday? Why did Jesus stay in the tomb for the whole Sabbath? Why not come back immediately on that Saturday morning? We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us the answer for this. But really, that question, very specific, is, of course, but a variation on the more common question that we all definitely ask. Why do we have to wait at all? Why do we wait so often in our lives today? If God can do something, if God purposes to do certain things in our lives, then why does he wait to do so? Why doesn't God just do what he's going to do now? We don't know the full answer to this question either. But what we do know, what the Lord makes clear repeatedly is his timing is not our own. If the Sabbath, resting and abiding in the Lord, is about reorienting our perspective, then maybe the waiting inherent to the Sabbath is about learning how to appreciate God's timing is always better than ours. Because if nothing else, the existence of the Sabbath and of the Lord's passion for us keeping it teaches us this, the Lord is not a workaholic. The Lord is not a workaholic. Our well-being and apparently the well-being of all creation apparently does not depend on endless work. Having to wait, if you will, being forced to rest despite ourselves through waiting teaches us that God is never anxious or in a hurry. God has no problem waiting. In other words, and more specifically, God has no problem waiting on us, waiting on us to be ready, waiting on us to be available, waiting on us to be reachable and teachable, waiting on us to actually experience life and loss and love with him. On the Sabbath, the work can wait. The cleaning can wait. The laundry can wait. The business can wait. Why? Because we need to wait. Because God is waiting for us. 
The Lord is waiting for us to live in the Sabbath in order to see what he is doing. Because, as we've talked about over these last couple of weeks, it's in the resting that comes through waiting that we actually breathe. It's in the resting that comes through waiting we actually finally listen. It's in the resting that comes through waiting that we find space to reflect. It's in the resting that comes through waiting that maybe for the first time we actually glimpse ourselves, who we are, not who we think we are, but who we're trying to be. And it's in the resting that comes through waiting that we can glimpse God working in, through, and oftentimes despite us. The rest that comes through waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. And I repeat this a lot because, again, the constant pushback, and I, I might have to address again as a question, is so many people are like, oh, this whole Sabbath thing, this whole resting thing, it's just doing nothing. It is not. That is so, that so, shows you just how ingrained this is with us, how, just how backwards we are. The rest that comes through waiting does not mean doing nothing. A seed, for example, once planted, rests in the ground for days or weeks. During that time, there is little to see on the surface level of the ground. But during that time of rest in the soil, that seed is germinating. It's changing, it's growing, and it will shoot through the ground in its time. It will sprout leaves in its time. Fruit or grain or shade will come in its time. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. The disciples had to go through a dark Saturday, but when Sunday finally came, their sorrow was turned to joy. And like them, on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we mourn the state of this world. We hope for the coming redemption. But in the same way they did, if we are willing to learn how to wait upon the Lord, to trust God through the darkness of the night, we can rest in knowing that the morning will surely come. That we can abide in his promise that he will never forsake us. But we have to wait. More than watchmen for the dawn. More than watchmen. More than watchmen do for the dawn. So how do you wait upon the Lord? I'm going to offer you another practice, something practical. And in order to shape this practice, we have to recognize something. One of the reasons our lives are so hurried these days is because most of our work is mind work. It's ideas, it's information, it's planning. I mean, put it this way, even if we're not working or doing, many of us are still thinking about work what we need to do, which then itself becomes work. What I'm saying to you is our primary exhaustion these days, some of us still work blue-collar jobs, but it's not like biblical times where most people were out doing physical activity. Our primary exhaustion these days is mental. And mental exhaustion, think about it, depletes our ability and our willingness to wait. That's why part of Sabbath rest is about what I'm going to call mindfulness being mindful, setting our mind and our heart purposefully on the Lord's presence in our lives. It's an idea that the, the Apostle Paul writes about when he, he tries to invoke this idea of taking on the mind of Christ. Practicing mindfulness means first, consciously avoiding rushing anything during your Sabbath day or time. So what I'm encouraging you to do, whatever that Sabbath day or time looks like, 
however long it is, whatever that space is that you're carving out in honor of this space that God set apart for us this time, whatever your Sabbath looks like, to start by consciously avoiding rushing anything during that time. What that means is, whatever that space and time is for you, do things more slowly. Do things more purposefully than you normally would. So here are a few examples. When you wake up, don't get up right away. Stay in bed. Give yourself time. Some of you, this is not going to be a problem, right? <laughs> Others of you are going to be like, ah, ah, right? So for those of you who are, ah, ah, stay in bed. Give yourself time to review how you slept, to notice how your body is feeling. When's the last time you actually stopped to notice how your body is feeling? And some of you are like, I can't stop noticing how my body is feeling. <laughs> stay in bed. Watch the light coming into your room. Listen to what sounds you hear. Perhaps read a little. Daydream a little. Wonder about breakfast. Right? Wonder about it. Rather than execute it, breakfast. Linger over that cup of coffee. All of this should sound very attractive to all of you. Some of you are like totally, totally into this. Others of you are like, this sounds awful. Linger over a cup of coffee. If you're cutting something up, I'm just trying to give you examples of what I mean by being intentional and purposeful and changing the pace on whatever that Sabbath time is. If you're going to cut something like vegetables, cut each vegetable separately and by hand. Savor each bite of your breakfast rather than... Right? Savor each bite of your breakfast as you move around during that Sabbath time, be conscious of your walking pace, of how you're moving, not just your step, your feet, but your whole body, how you're moving. Don't try to multitask. Do one thing at a time. And as you do one thing at a time, and I know that enter into, be conscious of each moment, each, each thing in and of itself. Because, and why, why, and some of you, like I said, are going to dig this, but here's the part you got to listen to if you're already there. Here's the, what I want you to, this is the next part. And for those of you who are resisting this, here's the whole reason why you're setting the table this way. You're entering into this Sabbath space this, this way. Because in committing to this sort of posture, what will emerge out of slowing down, if you're mindful of it, is a sense of stillness as well as silence. And I'll be honest with you, you may find that sense of stillness or silence that comes out of just slowing down and doing one thing at a time, being very purposeful, you may find that silence or stillness unsettling, perhaps even uncomfortable. But don't resist it. Don't resist the stillness and the silence. Invite God into that space that has opened up. This is the whole point. Invite God into that space that's opened up by deliberately not rushing around all over the place. And I'm gonna prepare you, and this is why, again, for those of you who are totally on board with everything I described, you're like, this is already my routine. Listen to this part. Even with slowing down externally, you need to, may need to be prepared to still struggle to be silent and still as you find yourself overwhelmed by the chatter within. Some of us don't slow down because that way we don't have to pay it to, we don't have to fixate on the chatter within. Some of us slow down 
externally, but this thing is going a mile a minute. Remember what I said, you're being still and and this stillness and silence that comes out of being intentional and purposeful is to invite God into this space. So what you also may have to do if your mind is just going is redirect the chatter within your mind. And how do we redirect the chatter within our mind? Here it comes. Here's why we do these things. Pray. Read scripture. Worship. Redirect the chatter in your mind by consciously acknowledging, acknowledging your preoccupations, your worries, your fears, and instead of brooding over them, cycling through them again and again in this space that's opened up, in this stillness, in the silence that you've invited God into, instead of trying to solve everything, put your fears, your worries, your preoccupations into the Lord's hands. Fill that open space in your mind with the remembrance of the Lord's blessings and provision as you're putting those fears and preoccupations and worries into God's hands. Meditate instead on God's faithfulness and love. And all the while, be open, be reflective, be attentive, be receptive for what the Lord wants to say to you, to show you, to direct you. I almost am going to guarantee this. If you figure out this rhythm of Sabbath, one, you will encounter that stillness and silence that I'm talking about. And if you invite God into that space and truly try to then put those things into God's hands, you will hear God speak. The Spirit will put his voice upon you. It may not be audible. I'm just telling you, I've, I've been there. You will get there where you will definitely sense the presence of God. And be careful what you pray for. Because again, if God starts speaking, if God starts directing you, jot down, make a mental note of whatever you're given. Be prepared for the Holy Spirit to offer you insight as to where you might be rushing things. Where you might be rushing yourself, where you might be rushing others, situations in your life, in this world that might benefit from patience rather than action. And out of this regular Sabbath space, whatever it is for you, put it to good use. Take it with you in terms of what you're learning. And what I mean is... Don't, it's, this is where you're, you're connecting two things, the whole point of resting in order to work. Out of this Sabbath space that we've just talked about, whatever it looks like for you, take it with you so that later on as you go out through into your normal week, back to business as usual, when you find yourself delayed, when your timing isn't lining up with the timing of others, instead of feeling rushed to do anything, for something, to change something, Consider, just consider from that Sabbath time, from resting, just consider waiting as an option. Whatever time of waiting you find yourself in, on the phone, in an an office, on your car, on the freeway, consider and let that time of waiting that you find yourself in to be transformed into a Sabbath space where you let yourself slow down and count your blessings, where you acknowledge that God's timing is not always ours. And as you remember the Lord's faithfulness, maybe your perspective as well as your actions in that moment of waiting will shift. Maybe all of a sudden you'll discover one of the flavors of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about with his patience.
And then the rest, self-control, gentleness. It's interesting how they're all so interrelated, right? My friends, we live, you know this, you experience it with me, we live in a moment of cultural restlessness. Most of us only know one speed and it's full steam ahead. And we have been stuck in that speed for a very, very long time. Instead of racing against time, instead of trying to beat the clock, instead of continually pressing and pushing against the grain, let us dare to wait upon the Lord. At times in our lives, it may seem that God has let us down, but in the waiting of the Sabbath, we will be challenged. We will be reoriented to see and to trust that the Lord is always working for us. So together, may we discover that in our relationship with Christ, the best things, some of Jesus's best work in us, the full and abundant life he desires and promises for all of us emerge through our waiting upon.